Thanks for listening. The following is an audio presentation from High Country Christian Church. For more information, please visit www.highcountrychristian.com. Amen. Let's get into this topic of the miraculous book of Acts. We're going to spend the bulk of our summer focusing on this powerful and amazing book. It sets a precedent and a pattern for the church of Jesus Christ. When you study the book of Acts, you will see a pattern laid out that that helps us as a precedent for how the church was designed to function. I want to encourage you to be here for as much of this series as is possible. Plan to make it a priority because I believe that it'll profoundly impact your life. We'll be in this series for eight weeks, of course, unless the Lord leads us otherwise. Amen. I don't, I don't mind being flexible because the Holy Spirit's in charge. In fact, one of the things we're going to discover in the book of Acts is that the Holy Spirit is in charge. Amen. Yeah, if you've never read the book of Acts, just buckle up. We have uh, as well a reading plan, which we can all follow. I want us to follow this as a church to maximize our study and get the most out of this profound history of the early church. Now, you're going to see that at the end. Uh, They're going to have a slide for us at the very end that's going to have the reading plan on it and a little QR code. You can scan it with your phone and download the the graphics so that you know exactly which books we're going to be studying from week to week. Amen. Thank you to our technology team for being awesome. Now, in this first part of our series, we're going to I'm going to just kind of spend the time today establishing a foundation for our study. I want to give some context. I want to share with you kind of the backdrop of the book of Acts, and we'll get into one verse in the first chapter, and then, uh, and then we'll take it from there next week, okay? As usual, um, when, I do, when we do a book study like this, if you've been around the church for the last few years, you know we've studied Big books, small books, in between books. Sounds like a Dr. Seuss uh, poem. Um, we've, we've studied like Philippians and Colossians, which were small books, Ephesians. We went through Ephesians. And then we've studied books like Hebrews, which are larger books, similar to the book of Acts. The book of Acts is actually the longest book that we've ever tried to tackle as a study of sub, uh, a subject of study on Sunday mornings. And so due to the kind of the natural limitations that we have on time on Sundays, we have to take somewhat of a 30,000-foot view. I would absolutely love to spend the next 30 weeks and dive into every single scripture with you, um, but time doesn't necessarily allow for that. So the reason that we created the reading plan is so that we can take advantage in our own quiet times and our own private times during the week to dive into, I'll get it, uh, to dive into the... (laughs) the chapters so that we can all stay together in what the book is teaching us, okay? Now, I will say this too. It's a historical book. So it's not a book that was written to emphasize doctrine. It's a book that was written to communicate the history of the uh, early church. I recommend reading this in the New Living Translation. If you have, uh, most people have a Bible app, and so you can find and pick a translation that you like. 
The New Living is an excellent one to read historical books in the Bible because it reads very much like a story and like a novel. You'll get a lot out of it in the New Living translation. And it, it also stays very accurate and holds true to Scripture um, a little bit more so than some of the other modern translations. So I recommend doing that. Um, but we're going to jump in and let's just give a little bit of context and background for the writing of this book, and it'll help us to understand it on a deeper level. Is that all right? All right. So uh, first thing is the book of Acts was written by Luke the physician, also known as the Luke the evangelist, also known as St. Luke. He wrote the gospel of Luke. You've probably heard of him before. He, uh, he also wrote the book of Acts. As a matter of fact, these two writings are meant to be read together. And you see that in the opening line of the book of Acts. I'm just going to read it to you. Just, just Acts 1, verse 1 in the New Living says this. In my first book, I told you, Theophilus, about everything Jesus began to do and teach. So there, in the first 10 words of the book, we see that Luke is writing a sequel to the blockbuster Gospel of Luke, okay? This is, this is the movie that came out, you know, the second year, and it ties to the first movie, the Gospel of Luke. And, and bonus points for anybody that goes back and reads the end of the book of Luke when you're reading the first four books of Acts this week, because it will really, really help you to understand where Luke is coming from. Because if you're to start reading from chapter 1, verse 1, you kind of get dropped into the middle of a story that's already going. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah. So I encourage you to read the Gospel of Luke and the book of Acts together. They're meant to be read together, as we see Luke says in chapter 1, verse 1. Now, he writes to this individual named Theophilus. In, the, in my first book, I told you Theophilus about everything that Jesus began to do and teach. We don't know exactly who this individual is specifically. We know that he has a Greek name, Theophilus. I was laughing at the table when I was putting my message together because I, I love to laugh at biblical names because they're funny. And, uh, you know, when we thought Sophia was going to be a boy, we had kicked around Theophilus maybe might be, <laughs> might be the name. But then the ultrasound came back and Sophia it was, right? Now, I enjoy picking, making fun of Greek names, but Theophilus, we don't know who this individual is specifically. It could have been a person who was an acquaintance of Dr. Luke, or it could reference the idea that the book was being written to those whom God loves, because the word or the name Theophilus is actually a compound Greek word of theos, which is God, and phileo, which is brotherly love. And so the concept could be that Luke is writing to everyone that God loves, Right? We don't really know. History is not real clear on that. Either way, whether it was a man named Theophilus or whether it was just written to everybody that Jesus loves, we can still get something out of this book. Amen? It's still written to you and to me. Now, Luke, a little more background on, on who Luke was. He was not Jewish as, as the apostles were and many of the New Testament writers are. He was not Jewish, but he was rather a Gentile who was very educated in Jewish law and religious tradition. This makes him a perfect candidate to write this book where God tears down the cultural barrier between Jews and Gentiles. 
It's one of the big, big takeaways from the book of Acts is that the gospel is for everybody. Can you, can you say amen? The gospel is for everybody. And in Luke chapter, or excuse me, in, in Acts chapter 10 specifically, we're going to see that in a couple weeks where Peter gets this revelation that the gospel's just as good to the non-Jewish person as it is to the Jewish person. Amen. How many of you know Jesus loves everybody and the gospel's available to everybody? Amen. He's not holding anything back. The Bible says God is no respecter of persons. If he did it for somebody else, he'll do it for you. Amen. If the gospel worked for Peter and James and John, all those Jewish guys, it'll still work for you and me who are not Jewish. Amen. Anybody Jewish in here this morning? Didn't think so. Okay. So that's good news for all of us who are not Jewish. The gospel is for everybody. Now, Luke, in his, in, in his uh, nationality and in his heritage, becomes the perfect person to write this book because he understands everything that he needs to know about the Jewish tradition, yet he comes at it from a Gentile. As mentioned, Luke was a physician who traveled with Paul the apostle. His writing style is indicative of the fact that he was a physician being very meticulous and detail-oriented. You see this in both his gospel account as well as in the book of Acts. Now, it's very fitting for God to use such a detail-oriented person to catalog specifics about the early church, right? And man, you can see this when you read in the book of Acts, whether you're reading the gospel of Luke, he'll, he'll say things like, in the year of such and such, of king such and such, in this, you know, go, go read the, the first two chapters of Luke and look at how detailed Luke is about the birth of Christ Jesus. It was a very specific group of shepherds in a very specific field in this year while this guy was king and this dude was doing a census and all these people had to do this. You see, he's very detail-oriented. John, on the other hand, his gospel, in the beginning was the word, right? And Luke's like, in this field in Bethlehem, these shepherds saw these many angels. He's very detail-oriented. Very, very important when cataloging the birth of the church. Very important to take note of specifics. Why? Because, again, we're, we said that Acts is creating a precedent for us. It's creating a model and a template by which we understand how God wants his church to operate. Can you say amen? Now, the book of Acts covers a period of approximately 32 years. That comes from Dr. C.I. Schofield. I didn't make that up. Amen. It covers approximately 32 years. So the book of Acts, it's long. It's long in its reading. It's long in its narrative. It's long, I mean, it just covers a lot of time. Amen. I mean, I'm going to be, I'm 38, that would mean that the book of Acts, I'm just a little older than the book of Acts covers. When I think back over my lifetime, I think, I've been alive for a while, right? Compared to my kids, I've been alive to it for a while anyways. Why, why do I bring that point out? Why do, why do I make a big deal about that? It's because when we're reading it, it's real easy for us to think, okay, 
Uh, second chapter of Acts, the Holy Spirit falls, the church is born, 3,000 people get saved. That was a Monday. Wednesday, Peter and John are going to the temple and the gate called Beautiful, and they raise that guy up. And then, you know, the following Thursday is when they're all in Solomon's porch and all this stuff happens. And then pretty soon, Paul's traveling to Rome. That was like 15, 20 years later. There's a big gap in time. And so we'll dive more into the timeline, but it's really important to understand that because here's the thing. Everybody, when it comes to the move of God and the development of the church, everybody wants to rush everything. You know, I, I, I worked for a guy one time who makes this statement a lot. He says, you know, Josh, big wheels turn slow. And I said, you're absolutely right. Yeah, did they turn the world upside down in the book of Acts? Yeah, they did, but it took three decades. Amen? Don't be discouraged that you haven't gotten where you want to get with God in the last six weeks. Hello? Some things take time. Amen? Be, in other words, be committed to God's long game. Be committed to the process that God wants to take you through. If he took 32 years to write the book of Acts for the church, it may take you more than a weekend to get the breakthrough that you're looking for. Maybe God wants to adjust some things in your heart, and that might take a little bit of time. Amen? In other words, don't put pressure on yourself. Don't put pressure on the church. Don't put pressure on your spouse. Don't put pressure on God. Just be obedient and walk in the plan that he has for your life. Amen. Now, the book of Acts is the fifth book of the New Testament. And it is, if you're taking notes, you may want to write this down. It is the critical link between the ministry of Jesus and the ministry of his church after his ascension to heaven. The opening of this book drops the reader into a scene in which Jesus has been resurrected from the dead. He's been with the disciples for 40 days. And, and, and he's been teaching them and hanging out with them. What a month. Right? How many of you would have loved to have been there with the resurrected Jesus? Like, man. I mean, I, I wouldn't be able to get over it. I don't know about y'all. I would just keep staring at Jesus like, man. I watched you die. I was there. We buried you, man. I mean, Mary, right over here, she, she wrapped you up and put you in that tomb. We were all there. We watched him roll the stone and seal it up. We saw the Roman guards. Dude, wouldn't it be wild to spend the next 40 days with Jesus? And here he is, you know, back from heaven, back from the mercy seat, went to hell for you for three days, rose up triumphant. And now he's just like eating fish tacos and teaching you, man. Like what a, what a time to be alive. But they're in the middle of this amazing scenario. And he is about to, in this first chapter, give his absolute final commission to the church. He's going to give his last assignments to his apostles before he ascends into heaven for good. So we see immediately why the book of Acts becomes extremely important for us because it ties together Jesus's ministry in his physical body on the earth and Jesus's ministry in his body, the church, on the earth. The book of Acts merges those two things together. If you were to go right from the Gospels straight to the epistles, you would lack context. If you were to go right from Jesus ascends Matthew chapter 16, you know, he's raised from the dead and, 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 and then he's gone. 
If you were to go right from that to the book of Ephesians and Paul starts to talk to you about the church, or, or better yet, if, if you were to go to the book of like 1 Corinthians where Paul starts to rebuke churches, you'd be like, hey, man, what's the heat for? I just, got, I just realized Jesus ascended. You know, without the context of the book of Acts, we lose some things in the epistles. Amen. The late Dr. Lester Summerall, the founder of Indiana Christian University, states this. The Acts of the Apostles contain the blueprint for the spiritual structure of the church until Christ returns. The functioning of the gifts of the Spirit is the directing force of this great story. We could call this book the Acts of the Church. I like that. That's kind of good, isn't it? I'm not out here trying to rename books of the Bible, but the reality is you don't just see the acts of the apostles in this book. You see the acts of the entire church developing over this, you know, 32-year span. There are 28 chapters in the book of Acts, yet the book has no written conclusion. Isn't that interesting? You go read Paul's apostles or, uh, Paul's epistles, it's very clear. He opens the book, he closes the book. You know, go just pick any Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, First, Second Thessalonians, any of them, Romans, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ. And he goes on this litany of an introduction, and then at the very end, he says, Greet so and so, tell this person I said, I'd say hi to Brother Eucalyptus, say hi to this person, say that one. And then he closes the book and he's done. Y'all love Brother Eucalyptus, don't you? <laughs> I told you I like to pick on Greek names. You know, he 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 bookends his books. In the book of Acts, there's no conclusion. You get to the end of the book, and it just says, Paul continued to teach in his apartment in Rome, and nobody tried to stop him, and it was glorious. Done. Why is that significant? Why is that important? I believe it's of critical importance because there's a mistaken position in church culture which assumes that the example and precedent set forth in the book of Acts became irrelevant after the lives of the first apostles. You following me? There's a mistaken you know, notion that when Paul died, when Peter died, when James, when John died, that everything we read about in the book of Acts is over, but that's not correct. The book never mentions any kind of conclusion, and rather, it leaves the door completely open for future generations of the church. Let me just stop by to tell you this morning that miracles and signs and wonders and gifts of the Spirit did not cease with the early church and the death of the last apostle. How many of you know God is still in the miracle working business? Hebrews chapter 13 verse 8 says, Jesus Christ, the same yesterday, today, and forever. Jesus began a work in his body in the book of Acts. He has no intention of stopping that work until he comes again one day. And you and I are partakers of that work. We're partakers of what Jesus is doing in the earth. Amen? It's a joy to be part of God's plan, isn't it? Amen. Now, the book of Acts, just a few more facts, and then we'll look at a timeline or an outline and the themes within the book. The book of Acts also fulfills 21 Old Testament prophecies. 21 Old Testament prophecies fulfilled in one book. I don't know about you, but that further, in my mind, proves the inerrancy and the cohesion of the Word of God. Yeah. Amen? 
I won't take time to talk about that. Maybe we'll talk about that more on another day. Let's talk for a minute about the outline and the themes within the book of Acts. Y'all doing okay so far? Acts is broken up into four parts. Four parts. Part one is the church in Jerusalem. That would be Acts chapter one through chapter seven. Part two would be the church in Judea and Samaria. That would be chapters 8 through 12. Part 3 covers the church in all of the Gentile territories. This is when Paul goes on his missionary journeys and begins to plant churches. That would be chapters 13 through 21. And then part 4, the last seven chapters, chapters 21 through 28, or excuse me, the last eight chapters, Talk and deal with Paul's voyage to Rome and his trial before King Agrippa. Now, what's super cool is, I don't know how many of us have read the book of Acts thoroughly or perhaps have read the book of Acts thoroughly in a while, but what I find when I read through the book of Acts is I discover and rediscover things I forgot were in there. There is so much that happens in the book of Acts that as you're reading it, you may stumble upon a church you didn't even know existed. You may stumble into something that you weren't even aware of in the Bible. I love when that happens. Don't you love it when you read something new and you go, oh my gosh, I didn't know that was in there. These four sections really clearly delineated tell the story of the early church. We begin with Peter and we transition to Paul. Peter was the one who was the first pastor of the church, the first leader, the apostolic leader of the church in Jerusalem. Chapters 1 through 7, uh, chapter, well, yeah, chapters 1 through 8 really focus heavily on the church in Jerusalem. That was the epicenter of God's kingdom in the earth after Jesus left. But then after chapter 8 and 9, the word begins to spread. Paul gets converted on the road to Damascus, really powerful, we'll, we'll get into that. And he goes on a rampage and begins to flip the world upside down for Jesus. Now, the main themes of Acts can be distilled into the following three statements. I really want you to catch this. These are the main themes of Acts distilled in the following three statements. Statement number one, the Holy Spirit is the initiator the guide, and the agent of God's mission to spread the gospel. He empowers his servants for ministry and affirms the work by signs and wonders. Amen. Let me read it again because I can see that people are writing. Statement number one, theme number one, the Holy Spirit is the initiator. He's the guide. He's the agent of God's mission to spread the gospel. How many of you know God, Jesus is pretty serious about his mission to spread the gospel around the world? Amen. Evangelism, not to be taken lightly. Amen. Now the Holy Spirit empowers his servants for ministry and affirms their work by signs and wonders. That's what's so amazing. When you get up to preach Jesus, Jesus starts showing up. Amen. Amen. I remember listening to uh, the late evangelist Reinhard Bonnke did an amazing work in the continent of Africa. And I remember him listening, or I remember listening to him one time. And he says, you know, he says, people that are alive show up. 
He was talking about how Jesus is alive. He was talking about, you know, he didn't stay dead. The, the death didn't conquer him. The grave didn't hold him back. Jesus is alive. And he says, alive people show up. You know, you start to preach Jesus, and all of a sudden the anointing comes and things start happening. Deaf ears start popping open. Blind eyes start popping open. Dead people wake up. Whoa. The Holy Spirit accompanied the word with signs and wonders. Statement number two, theme number two. The people of God are no longer determined by race, ethnicity, religion, or the keeping of the law or geography, but by faith in Jesus Christ. You want to know who's in the, in the family and not in the family? Doesn't, doesn't matter their religious background. Doesn't matter their heritage, their ethnicity, where they were born, how tall they are, how short they are, what language they speak, what color of the skin they have. Doesn't matter their background or any of the natural components that characterize who they are. You know you're saved when you believe in Jesus Christ. That is the determining factor that makes the gospel different from every other religious system. And that is expressly demonstrated in the book of Acts. And again, I don't want to get ahead of myself, but we'll see that. We'll see this amazing transformation happen to Peter when he realizes that, that the gospel of Christ Jesus is not just for the Jewish people. When the Lord reveals to him and says, hey, don't call, don't call unclean or common the thing that I've called clean, is what he says to Peter. In other words, stop looking down your nose at people that are different from you and have a different background for you. The gospel's just good, just good for them as it is for you, Peter. That's the point. Amen. And again, aren't you glad? I mean, I am. I'm not Jewish. Right? I'm glad this isn't just a Jews-only club. Nothing wrong with the Jews. I'm just glad that I get to be in. That Jesus' blood was just as effective in the cleansing of my life as it was in your life as it will be to anybody who believes. Number three, third main theme of the book of Acts is that no amount of persecution, social, religious, or political can stop the spread of the church and the gospel of Jesus Christ. Can you say amen to that? No amount of persecution, whether social, religious, or political, can stop the spread of the church and the gospel of Jesus Christ. Folks, they can do whatever they want to do. You can't stop the church of Jesus Christ. You can't stop the gospel from going forth in the nations of the earth because where there is one believer plus the Holy Spirit, there is a majority in society. I don't care what you face. The Holy Ghost is bigger than all of it. And if we'll be yielded vessels, yielded to him for his purpose, he'll do some amazing, startling things through us, just like he did in the book of Acts. Now, as I conclude this morning's discussion, it's not really a discussion, I'm the only one talking, but <laughs> I got a few minutes left and I just want to kind of land the plane here. Back in April, as I was telling you, we were at the beach, and I, and I was asking the Lord what he wanted me to preach on. And he began to speak to me about this series, and I wrote down several things, and I want to share two of the things that I heard him speak to me and what I heard in my heart as I was listening. Number one, 
The book of the point of the book of Acts is about what is possible when the church yields to the Holy Spirit for the purpose of fulfilling God's mission and evangelizing the world. Amen. The point of the book of Acts is about what is possible when the church yields to the Holy Spirit for the purpose of fulfilling God's mission to evangelize the world. I'm here to tell you that if you will let, over this next eight weeks, if you will let this book of Acts begin to influence you and begin to influence the way that you think, you'll become naturally an evangelism-driven person yielded to the Holy Spirit. You'll get great results because that's what this book is all about. It's all about a group of people who yielded themselves to the Spirit of God and began to evangelize their community, and it just spread like a wildfire. The second thing that I heard the Lord speak to me that day at the beach, which was April 6th, by the way, in case anybody really wanted to know that. I wrote it down in my notes, so here you go. The Lord said this, if you'll teach people how to receive the power of the Holy Spirit, it will become easy to evangelize Boone. Amen. Let me read that to you again. If you'll teach people how to receive the power of the Holy Spirit, it will become easy to evangelize Boone. You say, how is that possible? It's real simple. When the Holy Spirit gets involved and starts demonstrating who he is and changing lives, you can't argue with it. Amen. I like to say it this way. You can't argue with fruit. You can't. What kind of tree is that? Peach tree? Nope. It's got apples on it. Yeah, but I think that's a peach tree. I don't care what you think. Those are apples. Take a bite. Oh, apple. Yeah, you were right. You can't argue with fruit. This is why Jesus, by the way, if you go back to Mark chapter 11, why Jesus got real upset with the fig tree because it looked like it had fruit on it, but then when he went to examine it, there was no fruit. Jesus real interested in fruit. Why is he so interested in fruit in our lives? Why does he talk in John chapter 15 about him being the vine and his father being the vine dresser? And if you bear fruit, then you get pruned so that you bear more fruit. And then he says, and this is my father glorified when you bear much fruit. Why is Jesus so interested in us bearing fruit? It's because it's the fruit that proves who he is and demonstrates his love to the people that are around us. And so we need to get real serious about bearing some fruit in our lives. And here's the deal. You can get into a theological argument and a debate till you're blue in the face and you can never win anybody to Jesus. You may or may not ever win anybody to Jesus that way, but nobody can argue with fruit. I once was blind, but now I see. You can't argue with that. Amen. You can't argue with the lame man walking now. You can't argue with the epileptic boy who used to, the demon would throw him into the fire and and the, the father came to Jesus and said, if you can help us, please help us. And Jesus said, if you can believe all things are possible, you can't argue with that little boy sitting perfectly in his right mind, not throwing himself into the fire anymore because you can't argue with fruit. 
Jesus is interested in us bearing fruit. And here's the deal. If we'll learn how to receive the power that the Holy Spirit has available to us to start seeing life change and transformation happening in people's lives, it'll be so easy to evangelize your next door neighbor. All you got to do is go pray for him. Hey, Johnny, you having a bad day? Let me pray for you. Hey, Sally, you having a rough time? Let me pray with you. Those people that you go to work with, they, doesn't, they don't have to have such a terrible life anymore. God sent you there to fix it. And if you'll learn how to yield to the Holy Ghost, you might actually get some things accomplished. Glory to God. I don't know what this is, but I'm doing it. Amen. <laughs> if we'll learn how to yield to the Spirit of God, it'll become easy to evangelize our community. This brings me to my main point. I told you I was going to end with a scripture. We haven't read a single scripture yet this morning. Well, no, we read one. That's good. I mean, I'm a Bible preacher, so I kind of have to preach the Bible. Go to Acts chapter 1, verse 8. This is it, y'all. Tell your neighbor, this is it. This is it. This is the point. This is the verse. This is the key to the whole book of Acts. This is the key to the whole book of Acts. If you don't get this verse, you'll struggle to grasp the rest of the book, okay? I don't say that to be rude or mean or challenging or anything like that. It's just if you don't get this one, you'll struggle to grasp the rest of the book. Watch what he says. This is Jesus talking. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. Notice the language, very specific. We'll get into this next week. But Jesus didn't say you'll receive power when the Holy Spirit comes in you. Not when he comes to live in you do you receive power. It's when he comes and rests upon you. I like what one preacher says. He says, the Holy Spirit is in me for my sake, but he's on me for your sake. He's on me for the sake of the people that are around me. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you will be my witnesses. Everybody say witnesses. Telling the people about me everywhere, in Jerusalem, throughout Judea, in Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. When I was in Bible college, this, this verse was written on the inside flap of my Bible, because it's the thing I wanted more than anything. I was just, I had just come out of high school and I just wanted God more than I knew anything else. I just said, I just want, I, you know, I want to get married someday, but right now it's just me and Jesus and I'm okay with that. And I had this verse just written on the inside flap of my Bible and I, above it I had in large letters the word dunamis. You may or may not know that. That's a Greek word. And it's the word here that Jesus uses when he says power. You shall receive power. You shall receive dunamis. Everybody say dunamis. dunamis. Sounds like a character from the Lion King, doesn't it? And he says you shall receive dunamis. We get our word dynamite from the word dunamis. Jesus prophesies about the church and says, when the Holy Spirit comes to rest upon you, what he's bringing with him is explosive power. Amen. Not explosive in a destructive sense, 
I mean, we use dynamite to blow up mountains and stuff like that. We're not talking about a power that's destructive, but actually a power that is constructive, a power that comes in and brings life back into withered bodies, a power that comes in and brings sanity into a mind that is just racked with anxiety and depression, a power that brings life into death, that takes a person who is absolutely destitute and fills them with faith and hope and love and joy and peace. That power is resident upon every believer that the Holy Spirit comes upon. That can be you. That can be me. Oh, come on. That can be you. Amen. God's mission, the Great Commission, was never meant to be attempted without the power of the Holy Spirit. Never. You and I were created by God as new creations to be living a life that is earmarked with the power of the God that we serve. The Christian gospel is not a powerless message. If there's no power, it's not the gospel. <laughs> let, me, let me say it on this side. I think they want some too. If there's no power... It ain't the gospel. Paul stands up boldly in Romans chapter 1, verse 16 and 17, and he says, I am not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone who believes. This Christian life, this job of being salt and light, this commission Jesus gave us to go into all the world was not to be attempted without the power of the Holy Ghost. Amen. I don't know about you, I'm hungry for the power of the Holy Spirit in my life. Amen. Aren't you hungry for more of Jesus? Aren't you hungry for more of the power of God in your life? I don't know about you, but I, I don't want my prayers to go unanswered. I don't want to be weak and powerless. Not when I understand who God is and the fact that he's living in me. It's not my power. It's his power. But he gives it to me in his name and in his authority and in his blood. And he expects me to do something with it. Amen. I like what one preacher says, we owe the world an encounter with God. Think about that. Selah. We owe the world an encounter with God. I believe that's what made Peter and James and John and Paul and Barnabas and John Mark and all these people in the book of Acts. I think that's what made them so significant and special. It wasn't because they were better than you or me. It wasn't because they had a different calling than you or me. We're going to read in Acts chapter 8 about Philip, good old Philip. You know who Philip was? A nobody. He was just a guy. But the Bible talks about how Philip went down to Samaria and preached Christ to them. And God started doing all kinds of amazing things through Philip's life. And there was great joy in that city. Because one ordinary guy who wasn't an apostle, he wasn't called with any special calling, he was just an average guy who got a, got a hold of the power of God and started doing something with it and brought an entire city great joy. I believe you and I can do the same thing. Do you believe that? If you believe, let's stand up to our feet. We hope that this message inspired you and filled your heart with faith. 
If you would like to visit our church, check out www.highcountrychristian.com for service times and location information. Thanks again for listening to this audio presentation from High Country Christian Church, where Jesus loves you, we love you, and your life counts.